Good morning all. Wasn't that wonderful? Chris actually had a word I'd love him to just share. Can you come up here, Chris? Chris has a word during work. And uh, yeah, I'd just love you to maybe share it and pray for some people. That'll be great. I like it better when I'm not showcased. <laughs> um, yeah, so as, as we were worshiping, I just, it was a brief, I don't know, everybody gets it different, a brief vision, a brief thought, a brief scene. And I saw a field of dead flowers, and I saw Jesus walking through this field with a big old smile on his face, and the flowers just came to life. All these different colors, just, just awesome. And it was his great joy to do that. And he spoke to me and said that there are dreams and hopes in our lives that are dead, but the Lord wants to revive them. So I'm, I'm, listen, it's up to you. Do something. Put a hand on your heart. Stand up. Whatever you feel led to do, you got to engage with the Father. But I'm going to pray because I'm going to ask, and I trust because I've seen him do it. He's going to revive those hopes and dreams. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We just welcome you. We ask that you would come. We come that you rest on us, Lord God. There are hopes and dreams in our lives, Father, that we've either put down because they have not happened or we've been told that it won't happen, or we've believed a lie that it's never going to happen. And so, Father, I pray that you would come and bring, breathe life into those dreams, into those hopes. They could be healing. They could be marriage. They could be houses. They could be jobs. They could be grandkids. They could be children, Father. But I release, Lord God, your presence, and I release those, that life into those dreams and hopes and ask that you would bring revival, Lord God. Bring revival to those hopes and dreams, and I pray, Father, that they would partner with you. And we just thank you so much that you love us, that you were willing to come and bring your life, and, and those things that are in our heart, that you would bring them back. So I just speak life to those hopes and dreams in Jesus' name. Amen. That was wonderful. You know, sign of a health, sign of health in a child is partly the ability to dream. And, you know, when Chris came with that word, I just wanted him to share it rather than now to, in a sense, grab everyone's attention. Because, you know, like when children run around the house, we have two boys and they run around our house and they're either superheroes or gods or, you know, kings or something. And, and it's, it's this dream, you know, and when that stops, that's actually a sign of unhealthiness. Hello. And yet God's people are his children. And when they stop dreaming, it's actually a sign of something that's wrong. It's the same as when a child stops getting hungry, you take them to the hospital. And when God's people lose their hunger, it's actually a sign that something's wrong. Hello. And so thanks, Chris. I really appreciate that. So I wonder if we could stand one more time. I'm so sorry to make... Well, I'm not. Um, and I just wanted to read two quotes, and I just thought maybe we could stand while I did that. So happy 4th of July. And uh, it is a wonderful day, Independence Day, and my dad stole my thunder. It is my first July 4th as a, as a, as a citizen, which took me a long time cost me a lot of money because it started the process. I came here a little bit after 9-11, well, a number of years later, but everything was very tight and strict. And so it cost me over $15,000 and a number of years. And some people would say, oh, it should be easier. But you know what? For people that have done it the right way, there's a value attached to it. Yeah. And that matters. And for me, it's that valuable, much more so. And so I uh, wanted to read you two quotes. I thought it would be fitting. Two quotes concerning liberty by George Washington, the founder, or well, one of the founding fathers, but many people would say the father of the nation. And the first one is this. I've often expressed my sentiments that every man conducting himself as a good citizen and being accountable to God alone for his religious opinions ought to be protected in worshiping the deity according to the dictates of his own conscience. 
I like what he said, being a good citizen. If that causes you to go murder people, then yeah, you're not allowed to do that. But it's just a statement of liberty from the founding father of the nation. Listen to this one. This one I found. He also, he talked about this, how liberty can become tyranny. How can what is freedom become the opposite of freedom? And he said it this way. Liberty, when it degrades into licentiousness, that means doing whatever I want. In, in other words, becoming liberal with everything, liberal, liberality instead of actual freedom. He says, liberty, when it degrades into licentiousness, licentiousness, begets or brings forth, begets confusion and frequently ends in tyranny or some woeful confusion. Isn't that wonderful? Liberty, when it degrades into licentiousness, begets confusion and frequently ends in tyranny or some woeful confusion. George Washington. Lord, I thank you. I know we've prayed for the nation, but we can do it again. Lord, I thank you for this great nation. And I thank you that you are greater than all the nations. And that you are outside of time. And that you will bring about your plans and your purposes on the earth. And that Jesus Christ will return. And he will sit on the throne of David. And then the nations. And then the world will have peace. Not before. <laughs> the nations will be judged, including this nation. But the world will have peace. And we will have a new heaven and a new earth. And we will rule and reign with you. Lord, I thank you that the future does not belong to any ism, socialism, communism. It belongs to Jesus. And that we are with you. And we belong to you. And we will rule and reign with you. And for that, we are grateful. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just bring the right focus. All right. So, we've been in the book of Galatians. We're going to pick it up. I'm going to change Bibles today. So, please forgive me for that. I'm going to read a little bit out of the NIV. Um, not the new NIV, which is interesting. The old one from 1984 before, if you, if you can get one of those, I encourage you to get one. But we've been in the book of Galatians for a while, and uh, it's, I'm going to try actually finish today. It's, it's a hope and a dream, probably. Um, but I'm going to try. And, you know, just to give a little bit of a recap, because we've been in it in a while, and I would encourage you to take some books of the Bible. There's a time to read, and there's a time to study. I find, personally for me, most transformation that happens in my heart, yes, comes by encounter of the presence of God, encounter of the Holy Spirit, but I find ongoing transformation comes through revelation of the Scriptures, revelation of God's Word, and then by faith, taking that as what it means, even if other people are saying it's not, and living it, almost daring to believe it, and then it will actually bring encounter. This book should cause you, the, the Scriptures are Christ, Logos. They should cause you to bump into the person. This should bring encounter more than anything else. It will cause you to bump into the substance of the scripture, which is Jesus Christ. And we've been in it, and so these four churches in Galatia, or probably more, but there was four that are mentioned in the, in the book of Acts, started in revival and in power, and they were free in God. They were so excited about what happened. Paul actually preached the gospel to them because of an illness. He had something wrong with his eyes. And so he got, in a sense, trapped there for a little while while that was working his way through. And it says they were so excited about what he was saying and getting saved that they were willing to tear their eyes out and give it to him. That's what the Bible says. They were so overcome by the joy of the gospel. And then these, I've gone blank. What are they called? The Judaizers came in. Jewish people from Jerusalem that came in and said, listen, that Jesus is wonderful, that's great, but you have to add back the old law. And they try to bring people back into the bondage of the law. Now, the Old Testament, the law wasn't, in a sense, bondage to some of those people. It was pointing to Christ. It was pointing to the need for Jesus because no person could ever live up to the law ever. So I know we've covered a lot of that over and over. 
And Paul actually, if you go through the book of Galatians, he speaks heavily on grace and law. The law is a legal, a legal way, legalistic righteousness. The legality of trying to be righteous or in right standing with God for the purposes of relationship by your own effort. And no one could ever do it. And that was the point of it. It actually caused them to sin more. And the Bible says that was the point. Grace means unmerited favor. That you receive favor in relationship with Jesus Christ through Jesus to the Father. You receive favor that has nothing to do with your merit. And that is scandalous and powerful. And the, the Galatians also says that there is a power, in our words, there is a power that is greater than sin. And that power is grace. For the grace of God, Titus 2.11, will teach you to say no to sin and ungodliness. It will teach you. It's not a moment. When you get saved, it's a moment. Justified before God. Then there's a process of sanctification, of becoming transformed into the image of Christ. And the, the, the old covenant, that process was put more law on people. If they're doing bad, tell them they're doing bad even more. And it just never worked. The Bible says that grace will teach you. It's a school. It'll take you through a school to actually change the heart from the inside out, not behavior from the outside in. And we've heard that, and we know it, but we don't always understand how does that change my life? How does it change when it changes your prayer life, when it changes how you relate to God, when it changes how you actually treat others? Then it's beginning to have an impact. It's not just a point of theology. It has to go further than that. So, we're going to pick it up. We've skipped over some stuff. We ended in Galatians 3. But we're going to pick it up in Galatians 4, verse 8. And for those who know the book, you're saying, oh, you missed over the understanding of sonship. And, and that is true. And it is part of the, the core of the book. But we've heard a lot about that. But I want to speak to you about three things today. Um, firstly, I want to speak to you about legalism breeds ritualism without conviction. And what I mean is... When there's legalism and law involved, it will actually cause people to go through Christian motions, to go through the things or other rituals or bring in you know, rituals from other areas. They just go through the motions, but there's no conviction in the heart. And legalism will breed that. Let's read. You may be a little offended, but it's okay. We're okay. Galatians 4.8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who, were by nature, who, who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, you see what it says there? Everything to do with God starts with Him. We know Him because He knew us. Ra now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? The New King James says these uh, beggarly elements. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Imagine saying that to a congregation. I fear for you. You're being so silly that I think I've wasted my efforts. Paul the Apostle said that to a group of people. I plead with you, brothers. Become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. In other words, they had to help him. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God or as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? The sign that legalism has entered the heart. The joy of your salvation goes. I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? How, how applicable is that today? Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? So what's happening here is it starts off, he says... You did not know God when you were slaves to those who were by nature not gods. He's talking about before you came to God, most of these people in Greek areas, pagan areas, you were pagans. You did all these rituals and things. And there is a superstitiousness to it. There is a spectacularism to it. 
and that is coming into the simplicity of the power of the cross. I'm going to read you something out of a modern day commentary. And I ask you to hear this with an open heart. Whatever you think, I don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> but this is a modern day commentary about this text. Now there are people who know not God, speaking about what he said here, and yet they do all kinds of ritualistic things. They'll put on grotesque masks. They'll paint their bodies. I've seen this in Africa. You've seen this in movies. They'll go through a dance and they will wave swords and they will go through all kinds of gyrations, physical gyrations. And they will assure you that by doing these things they will bring rain. For they have just, you know, gone through the rain dance. And now the gods are going to send rain as a result of these incantations and machinations that they have now gone through. Wearing their various colored robes or loincloths or whatever the case may be, because you find in different cultures all different kinds of get-ups and dresses for these men and women who are doing these things as service unto their gods to bring the favor of their gods upon the people. And he says, this is what you were doing before, but how has it come in? Well, listen to what he says next. Now in many sectors of the church of God, we have men who put on robes in different colors or required suits, or unwritten dress code rules, high hats, or no hats allowed, waving scepters and various instruments over people, or no instruments at all allowed, to shake water on them, or no shaking allowed. And through all these things declare that by these things they can bring God's blessings on your life, and they cannot. This is exactly what Paul is talking about. When you were still heathen, you were pagans. You did service unto them which were by nature not really gods. You were doing your pagan exercises, your rituals. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that, how is it that you're turning back to ritualistic relationships, to the weak and beggarly elements? Then he says what? Well, then now because of that you observe days, months, times, and years. Because even in Judaism, there were garments. They were, so it is infecting their understanding, their simplicity of the power of the cross, which equalized everything. So he says, so now you observe, this Paul says, you observe days, and months, times, and years. And so he continues to say, so now you have your special seasons. You have your Lent seasons. You have your Saints Day you have your Christmas and you have your Easter. You have special observances going back to the weak and beggarly elements of the past rather than going forward into this new relationship with God by faith alone. Hello. Can we be friends? See, some of those things are not bad. Remember last week we spoke about what you do in, because of something that God has already done. I can observe some of those things because of my standing in Christ and my desire to honor and bring glory. I love Christmas. But because of, I can do those things. But when I start to do those things in order to please God, in order to bring favor, in order to bring blessing, or when I get offended because someone doesn't do it, legalism has entered. Because it's not, it's the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just read the Bible to you. It's not what I said. It's what Scripture says. What does he say? I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Because there's something about all those things that makes us feel we're, we're doing good now. Jesus did good on your behalf. Jesus plus nothing. I fear for you that somehow he says I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, become like me. What he's saying is, don't be offended with me by saying this. He's saying, I'm not offended with you. I'm not even angry with you that you've been taken astray. I love you, so I have to tell you the truth because I have to stand before God one day. What is the sign? What is the sign that points to something subtle beginning to enter our pure loving heart to Christ. What has happened to all your joy? 
What happened to the joy? Friends, when I started to see some of this, I looked around in the body of Christ, firstly with pride, thinking, well, they don't know. And that obviously is not helpful. But I saw it in my own heart, saw it in my own life. How offended I was when people wouldn't, in a sense, partake in certain things. How can you, how can you be like that? Don't you know it's Christmas? Well, every day is Independence Day with Jesus. Every day. It's Christmas with Jesus. And we get more offended on this day than on that day. The Bible says there are no more special days. There are no more. They're fine. If they, because of what he's done, I have this joy and desire to do something. That's wonderful. And many people get saved, and that's wonderful. I hope you hear my heart. That's not what was happening here, though. It was in order to please God, in order to bring his favor, in order, in order. It was, it's like a law now. Can we read further? Some of you are saying, I don't know. Go to verse 19. And I want to talk to you a little bit about, are we slaves or are we free? Verse 19. My dear children, see how he speaks with them with affection. For whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish... I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, and I love Paul because he's, he's spoken so much about the law. The law is like a tutor, which we didn't read. The law is like a jail guard. It kept him in custody in a sense until faith could come with Christ. And he, we spoke even the last few weeks of all the examples he gives. He says the law is like this, the law is like this. The, and it's like, He's finally got away from that, but he can't help himself. He goes back to it. In verse 19, he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. Tell me you who want to be under the law. He goes back to the law. If he takes this whole book to hit this issue from angle after angle with example after example, a question arose in my heart years ago. It doesn't seem that applicable or that important sometimes for the modern Christian. But if this is scripture, why is it so important? Because it infects everything you do. It infects your view of him and his view of you, how you think he sees you. It infects your view of others. It causes divisions and separations, denominations. All the illness within the church comes from this issue. So he says, tell me you who want to be under the law. Are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, that's Hagar, and one by the free woman, that's Sarah. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. God gave him a promise, you will have a son. These things may be taken figuratively. I just want to point out, Here's the scripture giving you permission to read the Old Testament prophetically. These things may be taken figuratively. Hello. For the woman represent two covenants. The covenant of Moses and the new covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ, which was preached in advance to Abraham, as it says in Galatians 3. One covenant from Mount Sinai, that's where the law began, and bears children, in a sense that covenant had children, who are now slaves, who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Hagar stands for Mount Sinai, you know, the Old Testament under Moses where the law came, and corresponds now to the present city of Jerusalem, because that's where the temple was, that's where they were still now observing the law, worshipping, sacrificing animals. Because she is in slavery... With her children. But the Jerusalem that is above, speaking about heaven, Christ came from there, is free. And she, that Jerusalem, is our mother. For it is written, be glad, Isaiah 54, a barren woman who bears no children, because Sarah couldn't have children. Break forth and cry aloud who have no labor pains, because more of the children of the desolate woman, speaking about the descendants that God has promised to Abraham, than of her who has a husband. Now how's this? Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Now he's speaking to Christians. He gives you this Old Testament example. Those two women are like the two covenants. They represent two covenants. But now he brings it home. Are you still with me? He says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Can we say children of promise? 
All right, remember that. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. Because Ishmael used to bully Isaac. Okay, because he was older. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Most people talk about that, about don't go back to certain sin. You can translate it that, but what he's talking about it technically is that you have two yokes. You know when, you yoke your, when two animals are yoked together? He said you can put your head into one of two yokes. The bondage of the law, which is to point for your need for salvation, to point to the fact that you can do it, to point to the truth of Jesus Christ, and you can do that and just get, feel guilt all day long and lose your joy. Or you can put yourself in the yoke with Jesus Christ. Come, all, come to me, all who are heavy laden. And I will give you a rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy. And you can put your, your, your head in that yoke. And you walk. And you see this great work that you've done. You're like, wow, look what I did. But actually, you're like a little calf. Your feet aren't even touching the ground. And Jesus is doing all of it. You're like, look what I'm doing. And he's like, well, that's, that's great. It's, you're just doing so well. Because Jesus laid the foundation. Jesus did it all for you. So, this, he speaks about the slave woman and the free woman. The slave woman was Hagar. The free woman was Sarah. Hagar brought forth Ishmael. Sarah brought forth Isaac. Abraham, Hagar was from Egypt. Egypt in the Old Testament stands for the world. So God gave Abraham a promise, of which he's given you. Chris actually prophesied about it. He gave you, he, he gave you a promise, maybe to you personally. But here we're speaking about the promises of God through salvation and through Christ, but also for you personally. And so Abraham took this promise that God had given, and he said, I must go and be intimate with the world to bring it about. I must go and be intimate with Hagar. I must be intimate with those from Egypt in order to bring it about. And he brought something about. And what was born out of that issue, persecuted when actually they had a son God's way. And Ishmael used to persecute Isaac. But what does he say? These things may be taken figuratively. Read this again. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but the son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. You are like Isaac, are children of promise. And at that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. Very important. It is the same now. When you see what I'm trusting the Holy Spirit will give you a revelation on now, it'll change you. It changed me. It's talking about, there's a deeper truth here. Two births. The birth of Ishmael, the birth of Isaac. You know, you have two births. Hello. You have two births. And it's so important for us to see, have you ever asked the question, why? Because you know, in the Old Testament, the natural, New Testament, the spirit. Why did the patriarch's sons, why did the younger always overcome the older? Because it was pointing to something. Abel overcame Cain. Isaac overcame Ishmael. Joseph overcame all his older brothers. Jacob overcame Esau. But in that culture, the older son was everything. But all the patriarch's children, why did the younger son always rule and dominate the older one? Why? Well, you are born to have births. You are born physically on the earth like baby. There's a baby. Ah, baby. You are born on the earth physically first. In order to be born again, you have to be alive. It's not very complicated. So when you get born on the earth, the Bible says you are born, in Ephesians it says this, you are born into sin. You are born a slave of sin. Ishmael was born to a slave woman. He was born a slave. When you are born on the earth, you are born a slave to sin. 
So Jesus comes along and says, it's not about the law, you have to be born again. You must be born again, unless you be converted, he said. You must be born again. And Nicodemus said, you want me to go back in my mother's womb? What? He said, no, 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 you have to be spiritually born. He was born of flesh as flesh, that which was born of spirit is spirit. You must be born again. That is your second birth. When a person gets saved, they have been born a second time. And just like your second birth is always going to be younger than your first birth, because you were already so old when you get saved. And the younger son, the younger birth in a, in a believer has to, has to begin to dominate and rule the flesh. Has to. This is what scripture is showing you. The spirit of God in you has to begin to rule and you live from that place and take over and dominate with authority the flesh nature. Because it's second, it's the son of promise. Because as soon as you get saved, the flesh nature will start to try to persecute the spirit nature inside of you. As soon as you get saved, that's what he says. What did he say? I'll find it. He says, at the time the son born in the ordinary way, that's you when you're born on the earth, persecuted the son born in the power of the spirit. That's when you get born again. He says, it is the same now. And so the flesh has a voice. The flesh is dead. I reckon myself dead to sin. The flesh is actually dead. It was crucified with Christ. It's dead. But it tells us that it's alive. It's like, hey, I'm still here. Hey, I'm still here. Hey, I'm still here. Hey, I'm still here. It has a voice. It has thoughts, habits, patterns, temptations. And it tries to reinsert dominance. You know the word converted? you know what it means? It means um, to be converted actually means revolution, like a coup, like when you overthrow a government. Jesus said, unless you be converted, unless there's a coup, an overthrow of authority in your heart, and Christ sits on the throne of your life, you will not be saved. So because the, the, the newborn nature has to begin to rule. It has to begin to rule. And so most Christians, just, just, they just take that persecution. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm just not really doing well today. No. Stand up. Put your shoulders back. Not on the strength of your flesh. Say no. Say no. This is who I am. This is who Christ has made me. Not by anything I've done, but by what he's done, I can be free. The younger has to rule. The new nature is the son of promise. Jesus called the gift of the Holy Spirit what? The promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit will only partner with the new nature and bring forth power. The new nature is also called uh, the new creation life. Go stand, the, uh, the angel said to Peter, go stand in the midst of the temple and speak to people about this new life. The new nature is an heir. You can read it in Galatians earlier that we skipped over. Since you are a son, you are also an heir. When you get saved, as we know, we become his son. That gives us an inheritance. The new nature, not the flesh nature, has a divine inheritance. The new nature is tied to God. Peter says, you are partakers of a divine nature. So our new nature, when we get born, that younger part, the spirit of God within us, is partakers of a divine nature. You talk about a source of authority. There's a part of me that is linked to God. And it's not the flesh. And the flesh, if you don't know that, the flesh will win every time. Because that son, that son of promise, that new nature inside of you is birthed by the power of the Spirit. It speaks by the Spirit. It walks by the Spirit. It understands by the Spirit. It sings by the Spirit. Everything by the Holy Spirit. It's by faith. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. And the old nature goes, that's crazy. Do you really believe that? Yeah, I don't think so. It tries to reinsert dominance. We must learn to live and walk in the spirit. And that spirit of God in you starts to rule and take dominion and authority. Not over other people, over the flesh. People say, 
Oh, I was just led by the Spirit to do this. Or I was just led by the Spirit to do that. You know, the only time in the New Testament the Bible talks about being led by the Spirit, you know what it's actually talking about? It says the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. The context is putting down the old nature. The Spirit of God will lead you to say no to an old slave master called sin. It'll lead you to say that's a defeated, toothless foe. Don't listen to it. How does a person begin to do this? How do you begin to rise up in the spirit? And I'm going to give you seven things in ten minutes. But first, let's go read the scripture. It's good to read the scripture. It's good to just read what does the Bible say. We're going to jump to Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. We could teach a year on that. You were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. You know what? I'm going to switch. I'm going to go to the New King James. Can we switch? Switcheroo. Sometimes this, it's the same scripture. Don't panic. Galatians 5.13. You, my brethren. See, brethren. Far more fancy. Have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, for the old nature. But through love, serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, or one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. By one another. I say then, here it is, walk in the spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, the desires of the old nature. For the flesh... Lusts or desires against the spirit, against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And what that means is if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. If you're led by the spirit, you will not be placed back under the bondage of self-effort in order to please God. He's already pleased with you because of Jesus. Bless you. That was very cute. So, walk by the Spirit. Then he says this. Now the works of the flesh, and we've read this. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, sorcery. You know that word sorcery? It's the word drugs. Every time the New Testament has sorcery or witchcraft, it's translated sorcery or witchcraft. But here, it is translated in the Greek, the word is pharmakos, literally drugs, pharmaceuticals. Because to them, they used to use that, sorcerers used to use that to go into the supernatural realm. Because it is a gateway to that realm. So to them, one meant the other. It wasn't a culture of where just normal people are taking drugs. I remember, because when I was a kid, and I was on drugs... And I said to my dad, the dad doesn't, Bible doesn't speak about drugs. Some, yeah, it does. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, drugs, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. In other words, there's lots more. Of which I tell you beforehand, but as I told you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's not talking about salvation, which we could explain another time. You will not walk in the inheritance of the son of promise on this earth, the kingdom in your midst. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Now we learn these as children, but we miss the point. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That was always a banana in children's school because it was long. Long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh because it was crucified with Christ with its passions and desires. That's the new spirit of God in you ruling, the new nature ruling. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not then become conceited. In other words, we walk in the spirit and we actually have victory over some of these issues and we're like, well, look at me, I'm free. Well, you've just changed it. Provoking one another and envying one another. What's the point? How does a person 
that's the, probably the longest portion we'll read, but how does a person begin to cause the Spirit of God within them to take dominance, to actually walk and live in authority by faith? Firstly, Paul will give you, literally, he literally lists some things. I'm just going to read and tell you what they are. Firstly, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And we have to firstly recognize the truth that your old nature, like it says, has desires. And your spirit, or the new nature, has desires. And they're in conflict. Just recognize that. You're not insane when you think one thought of... Should I use the other mic? I think the battery's dying. You guys look good? You hear me? When I have one thought over here and five minutes later another thought over here, you think I'm crazy. No, it's normal. Because they have desires that are contrary to one another. But it is by the Holy Spirit, not the law, that you will have victory over sin. So when you're helping a person or when a person's doing something, don't go tell them, you're bad, you're doing that wrong thing. It doesn't empower them. Unless there's a mentoring relationship, you're a parent, of course. But it doesn't help to go tell them, your behavior is bad, therefore be good. That's the law. It will actually stir them up to be worse. Don't tell them, pray for them. You're really concerned? Pray for them. Cry out to God for them and watch the behavior. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for the spirit to rise up. Begin to pray for them. And you'll see what begins to happen. And of course, if you're in a sense of authority or mentorship, of course, yeah, it's a, listen, that's not helpful. And speak to them. But with what goal? I'll read it like this. Is the goal to cause them to have right behavior with an unchanged heart? Or is the goal to bring about the change of heart and to walk with them through the behavior? Hello. How to walk in the spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit, not by the law, that the character is produced in the Christian. The character of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will transform you. Recognize also, I would say, the deception of sin. That's how to learn to walk in the Spirit. What do I mean? Think of, we, 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 we quote scripture just like this and we move on. Think about Paul receiving this inspiration from the Holy Spirit. And he's writing. And he writes, the works of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit. And then he's thinking, huh, the wages of sin is death. The fruit of the Spirit is life and peace. Romans 8 and Romans 6. So he's receiving inspiration and he's in this, like this question would have risen up within him. Why do you call all the things he listed under the works of the flesh works and the things under the Spirit fruit? Oh, very different. That rocked my world one day. Because... The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The deception of sin is this, that you will work all your life and you will be paid with death. It's a wage. So you can be saved and really struggle. It's like, it's not, are oh, you being bad? It's, why are you earning death? You have a new creature, a new creation inside of you that operates by life. But you think freedom means I can save, I can do whatever I want. I can work all my days now and earn death and destruction in my life and in my heart and to those around me. It only pays with death. Sin only pays in death. It's the only currency it has. Versus fruit. You've never seen an apple tree go and boom, an apple. Never. Never seen it. Why? Because the roots go into the ground. It is naturally, it will bear fruit. When you know that your roots go into Christ based on his merits for you, not your merits. And though it's a new root system of an incorruptible seed. Peter says an incorruptible nature. Hello. Incorruptible nature that goes deep into Christ. And you are in Christ. You wake up every day not for what I mustn't do. I wake up every day to live for him. Because my roots go. It's, Jesus said a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. That's what all Christians do. 
We try to take the bad and we try to make it good. Jesus said, no, only a good tree can bear good fruit. I recognize your new nature is planted in me. The fruit will come naturally. Just, just come. Naturally. Just, it's fruit. It's not works. It's just fruit. It just flows out of your life. How else do we walk in the Spirit? Well, he continues. Chapter 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Interesting. So when a man is really gripped by an habitual sin, it actually requires a spiritual Christian, not a carnal Christian. Because a carnal Christian say, look at what you're doing, I'm better than you. They won't say that, but that's what they think. A spiritual Christian will go stand next to him, let his reputation be destroyed while he walks him into victory. He says... Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks of himself to be nothing, when, something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And he goes on down to verse 5. So how do we allow the Spirit of God to rise up and begin to rule? Firstly, walk by the Spirit. Secondly, walk with others. This Christian life, there's 59 one another's in the New Testament. It's one thing being a believer in a cave with Jesus. It's another thing when you walk with other people. This book is a family book. You walk with the Spirit, but you walk with others. When I first got saved, I actually said this. This actually came out of my mouth. I laugh now. I said to the guy who was mentoring me, I said, you know, I found it really easy to be humble in front of God, just not in front of people. And he just looked at me and says, I think everyone finds it easy to be humble in front of God. He's God. People are the point. I just, I laugh that I, that I even said that. Accountability, transparency, we've heard it before. How else? Number three, sow to the Spirit. That's the next verse. Do not be deceived, Galatians 6, 7. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he, sows to his, for he who sows to his flesh, the old nature, will reap of the flesh corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. It's an interesting thought. Do you know even... Do believers even know that you can sow to the spirit and you can sow to the flesh even in your own life? You can sow to one or the other. My dad used to say this in the 1800s. I'm just, I'm just joking. He's not that old. But my dad used to say this. He said, if you take a dog and you have two, you like clone it, right? And you, it's so simple. And you put one in that room and one in that room. And they're exactly the same, but you feed the one and starve the other. They're going to fight. When they fight, which is going to win? The one you fed, so is it with the spirit and with the flesh. It's exactly the same. It's so profoundly simple. And the greatest food you can give your spirit is prayer. I mean, is the word, worship, and prayer. Basics. Basics. Just the word is food. Jesus said, I have food you know not of. And prayer, fellowship with God, worship. So simple. So to the Spirit. How else do we cause, begin to rule the new nature? And he goes on. He says, it's literally Paul lists how to do this. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of their household of faith. Look for opportunities to do good. When you have an outset, you look for opportunities to do good, you sow to the Spirit. You strengthen the Spirit of God within you, and the fruit will begin to flow out. I'll just read you the rest. Go home and read Galatians 6 to the end. I encourage you. How else? Love Christ outwardly. And see the world for what it is. He said, I'm crucified to the world and the world to me. I, I can hear Leonard Ravenhill. <laughs> when a man was crucified, A.W. Tozer, when a man was crucified, he lost all his rights. They could go up and cut him. They could spit on him. They could urinate on him. They could stab him. Whatever they wanted to do. That was Roman law. Paul said, the world was crucified to me. It's disgusting to me. It's vile to me. It has no interest to me. Everything the world has to offer is not interesting to me at all. It's been crucified to me, but I've also been crucified to the world. They can do what they want to me, but I stand in Christ. That's what he says. That doesn't happen 
We're just going through the motions. That happens as you give your life, converted, overthrow of authority. Jesus, I want to walk by the Spirit. I want to live by the Spirit. I want to sing by the Spirit. I want to worship in the Spirit. I want to be like you. And nothing I can do will do that. Teach me. Show me. And let the fruit of God come out of your life. And then God gets glory. And that is the point of being, the glory of God. That is the point of life, to the glory of God. I'll end with this. People say, when they're talking about sin or struggles, they say, well, I'll be free when I die. Because, you know, they're struggling with something. I'm going to go to heaven. I'll be free when I die. Friends, then death is your savior, not Jesus. Jesus saved you, changed you, paid for you, lived up to the law for you. He earned the Father. He earned everything that you walk in. Because you can't. Amen. Shall we stand? Can we just open our hearts for a moment? Just for a moment. I trust, I encourage you, go home and read Galatians. Partly of what, I, what God put in my heart to do was just give some understanding. I remember when I was growing in the Lord and I would read it, and I'd be like, I don't know what this means. To just read it with some understanding will allow revelation to feed you. Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, you are the author. All scripture is God-breathed. And as we open our hearts in this moment, we pray, Holy Spirit, that revelation would bring freedom, freedom and authority to the incorruptible nature you've put inside of us, which is of yourself. Let us live from that place. Father, we bless your name. We love you. And we are grateful for this nation and the freedom we have in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go enjoy Thanksgiving. Uh, what did I say? Thanksgiving. I'm just prophesying. Just prophesying. No. Hey, Independence Day. And enjoy your families. If you're visiting, there's a gift for you on the door when you leave by the door. And if you would like ministry, there's a team that will be here to pray for you. Bless you guys. Enjoy.